morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say hello to everybody joining us online on our online campus. I want a big shout out to our microsite. Hello to those of you in our parent viewing area. That's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, man, uh, Eli talking about his daughter uh, getting her ears pierced reminded me of the time when I got my own ears pierced at Claire's when I was like 20. So, yeah, uh, that happened. That's a thing. Uh, awesome to have you here with us. Hey, a couple of things I just want to mention uh, before we jump into the talk this morning. First, um, next week is our, uh, it is our legacy offering. And we do this every year. And um, we've been pumping it up over the last several weeks and just letting you know that it's coming. And uh, next week, you'll be able to give towards the legacy project, which is something that goes above and beyond our regular giving uh, towards global missions and local outreach and uh, things that people are already doing, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we just get behind them and say, how can we help support you. And so um, that's always an exciting thing every year. Uh, and we've got some projects that we're going to be able to give to and even probably be able to fund before the end of the year as money comes in. So uh, we'll bring you up to speed on those things. And in January, we're going to be celebrating all that we uh, kind of a look back at all of uh, 2021 and all of the different projects that we've been able to help fund because of your generosity. And so uh, that's happening next Sunday. And our goal with that is simply 100% participation, that each of us would say, God, what would you have me do? And we'd be obedient to do whatever we feel God's speaking to us to do uh, above and beyond our regular giving towards that legacy project. So that's happening next Sunday. Uh, so keep, keep your, uh, uh, your heart attuned to that and open uh, just uh, this sort of dialogue with, with the Lord about, uh, God, what would you have me do? And then just do your best to be obedient. Um, and then the other thing, just quick question, uh, how many of you, and those of you watched online, put an exclamation point in the chat if this is you, how many of you are pro- Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Just need to know here what the poll is. Okay. All right. All right. How many of you are like, no freaking way. You got to wait till Turkey Day is over and then you can listen to Christmas music. Okay. How many of you are like, I would listen to Christmas music all year round if people wouldn't hate on it so much. Yeah. All right. One or two of you. Okay. All right. Just wanted to know that. We're entering that time of the year where uh, we're getting into this holiday sort of festive time and uh, starting to look a little bit white outside uh, today. And uh, man, it's just that time. It reminds us that we have a lot to be thankful for. And that really hasn't changed for followers of Jesus. We've always had a lot to be thankful for. And uh, we're in this series. We're in the seventh week of this series. We're continuing our march through this letter that Peter writes to a group of Jesus' followers. They're living in the first century. Uh, they're living in the sort of scattered across the northern provinces of Europe in the Roman Empire, facing a lot of hostility, not only from the Roman Empire, but from religious leaders of Jesus' day. And uh, he's writing, Peter's writing to a group of people about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, through this series, We've been kind of walking through this letter that Peter wrote. And uh, man, if you missed it, I want to encourage you, if you missed any of these weeks, to go back and check it out. We talked about the fact that our hope is in a someone and not a something. And it's the someone who's overcome death. So we have a hope that's alive. And so we, we put our trust and our hope in one who is living. This, this living hope, Peter says. And then uh, the second week, we talked about this idea that holiness is really, it's becoming like Jesus, that it, we come to Jesus, but then we become like Jesus. And uh, because of what he's done for us, we, we can actually love others really well. 
And then the third week, we talked about this idea of a priesthood, that we actually have access to God. We have access uh, to, we don't need a mediator to go to God on our behalf. We have direct access to God. We have direct access uh, to prayer, to the scriptures. Uh, We have direct access. And that's such a huge thing. And with that, not only is there great privilege with that, but there's responsibilities with that. And then uh, week four, we talked about our citizenship as, as citizens of heaven, that we, uh, it determines how we respond to criticism and to authority and uh, to um, suffering and hardship and uh, all of these things and adversity. And then we talked about marriage. We talked about this concept of mutual submission, that it is out of reverence for Christ that we submit to one another. That as husband and wife, it is a race to the back of the line. We put each other first, not because they deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for us, because of what Jesus has done for us. And then last week, we talked about this idea that Jesus isn't just our Savior. He's our Lord. It's not just that he's rescued us from something. He's rescued us for something. That he is, he is to be who we build our life on. That we follow uh, Jesus. And we don't just um, say thank you for the salvation and thanks for the forgiveness. And now I'm going to live my life however I want to. But it's no, I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to follow your way of living. So as we continue to read through this letter of 1 Peter, he continues this theme that we see over and over and over again. This is what God has done. So now this is who you are. So this is how you should behave. This is what God has done for you. So now this is your identity. So now let's live that out. And, and we don't live this way to become a part of God's family. We live this way because we already are a part of God's family. It's who he has made us to be. And now we live out that identity. So today we're going to jump into uh, chapter 4 of uh, 1 Peter. Uh, again, the chapters uh, didn't exist when Peter first wrote this. But uh, these are chapters that were a- added later on to help us sort of navigate these writings. And so we're going to read through several verses of chapter 4. And in this chapter, we're going to find five commitments for followers of Jesus. If, you, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, then these are five things that really we should be committed to. And so the first one is this, a commitment to self-denial. A commitment to self-denial, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, right? Peter's writing to this group of people. They've experienced suffering at the hands of the Roman Empire. They've experienced uh, suffering uh, from a culture and a society that's pretty hostile towards them. And they're doing their best to live out the way of Jesus during these really difficult and hostile times. And Peter's been reminding them throughout this letter that the way that they live, even in, and really especially in difficult times, really makes a difference in the world around them. And so he says we're temporary residents, which which means that we live here on earth as citizens of heaven, but we we do our best to uh, reflect our citizenship, uh, do our best to reflect who God is into the world around us. And so now he addresses their suffering, and he brings up an interesting point. So we're going to read through these verses together, and we're going to walk through this. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says this. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, <clears throat> you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough of, in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Peter wants us to remember that Christ suffered and that we should be ready to suffer as well. Now, it doesn't mean we go looking for suffering, right? Because there's enough suffering going on in the world that we don't have to go looking for it. But I can imagine Peter, as he's writing this, he remembers 30 years earlier, that on the night that Jesus was arrested, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he actually invited 
some friends to go and pray with him. And that Jesus himself prayed this prayer to God and said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Like, I don't want to suffer. I I don't want to go through this. But then he prays this prayer. But God, ultimately, your will be done, not mine. God, let, if there's any way that I, can, that I can escape suffering, I want to escape suffering. But your will be done, not mine. And Jesus prayed this prayer, your will be done. Jesus wasn't looking for suffering, but he was willing to endure suffering in order to align his life with the way that God wanted him to live. And so Peter's reminding us we should be ready to do the same. But he makes this very interesting point. Here's what he says. He says, when you suffer, you're finished with sin. When you suffer, you're finished with sin. There is a point in our walk with Jesus, somewhere along the way, where we just determine it's worth it. When you decide to follow Jesus, there's a point somewhere in your walk with God, there's somewhere when you're following Jesus where you just determine, you know what? It's worth it. Whatever it is that I have to give up, there's a point in our relationship with Jesus where we decide whatever it is that we are giving up, whatever it is that we are sacrificing, whatever it is that we are suffering, whatever it is that we think we we have to let go of in order to truly follow Jesus, there comes a point in your relationship with God where you just determine it's worth it. That, That what we gain is so much more than what we give up or what we sacrifice or what we suffer. And Peter says, when you experience suffering, it gives you perspective to realize you no longer need to chase all of the things that you think will bring you satisfaction or happiness, because these things are temporary and won't last. So here he is, he's writing to these people, and he's saying, remember, remember when you spent your time chasing after these temporary things, these temporary feelings? Uh, Do you remember when you spent your time chasing your own desires? Remember that, how that felt when you thought, man, uh, lust and drunkenness and wild parties and worshiping idols. Remember, you thought that would bring you all that you were looking for in this life. Do you remember that it came up empty? Do you remember that it didn't satisfy? Peter says suffering has created perspective. And suddenly we realize anything that we can give up is worth giving up when we look at what we gain in Jesus. Many of you are aware that uh, in July, our daughter Chloe was in a, a very serious accident. And uh, I can tell you, that brings perspective. In a moment, it brings perspective. I can't tell you how much that makes you focus on what really, really matters. Because suddenly, in a moment, things that you thought were important are no longer that important. In a moment, you, you get clarity. In a moment, you, you, you become suddenly very, very aware of what really, really matters in life. And uh, in just an instant, you're, you, you clarify everything. In one single moment, you take stock of your life and you realize who you want to be and what you want your life to count for and what really matters. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, when, when you suffer, it gives you perspective and you realize, I'm finished with sin. I'm done with that. It didn't satisfy. And now... I, I, I want to I build my life around Jesus. Here's the way Jesus says it. This isn't on your outline, but in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. That's all of us, right? 
All of us want to hang on to our life. That's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hang on to life. That's why you diet. It's why you exercise. It's why you take vitamins. It's why you get on that treadmill or that Peloton bike. And it's why Jesus is so brilliant. He says, everybody's all from different backgrounds and uh, different sort of points of view. And he brings them all together. He goes, okay, let's get everybody on the same page. How many of you, everyone here wants to save their life, right? Anybody not want to preserve their life? And everybody's like, no, we want to we preserve our life. We want to save our life. He goes, that's everybody. But if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, healthy people die. Doctors die. Nutritionists die. Vegetarians die. Everybody who gets on a treadmill eventually dies. Human mortality rate, as long as I've been around, hovering right around 100%, give or take nothing. Like, this, this is really sad. Yeah, everyone dies. Everybody wants to hang on to life. Jesus says everybody wants to hold on to it, and everybody at some point loses it. And Jesus says anyone who loses what they consider to be life because they chose to follow me will actually save or preserve their life, will actually save or preserve your soul. In other words, I know saying no to you is scary, but I just need you to know the end game. Jesus says, I want you to see the broader and eternal context. The life that you are trying to save, you're going to lose. But if you follow me, and in following me, you actually have to lose something that you think is really important in this life. If in following me, you lose that opportunity. If in following me, you lose that relationship. If in following me, you lose something that you consider valuable to this life. I just want you to know, you were going to lose it anyway. I'm giving you an opportunity to lose it with a purpose and a meaning attached to it. I'm giving you the opportunity to connect with something bigger than yourself. And followers of Jesus deny themselves so they can say yes to Jesus. Followers of Jesus have learned, okay, there's times where I have to say no to me to say yes to God's way. But man, in giving up whatever I have to give up in order to say yes to Jesus, what I gain is so much more. Peter says, suffering gives you perspective. When you suffer, you're done with sin. You don't want to chase those things anymore. You don't want to go after those things anymore because you realize it really doesn't satisfy. And that brings us to the second thing, a commitment to wisdom. Peter continues this letter, and he wants to let his readers know that when you choose self-denial in order to follow Jesus, not everyone is going to agree with that decision. So he continues in the next verses. He says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. So Peter says, look, not everybody's going to agree with your decision to live the way of Jesus. But we need a commitment to wisdom. Did you know that studies show that you become like the five people you hang out with the most? Think about that. Who are the five people that you hang out with the most? And do you want your life to emulate their life? Who are the people that you are allowing to influence you the most? Can I tell you, that's why we do groups around here. Because we want to help put you into a faith environment where you're around some people who are moving in the same direction you are spiritually. That you've got some people who are influencing your life as you follow Jesus, as you do your best to become like Jesus. If your friends and the people who are influencing your life are not the people that are backing up your decision to deny yourself and follow Jesus, then those probably aren't the people you want to have influencing your life. 
And that doesn't mean that we're not friendly. It doesn't mean that we're not kind to people. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for people or treat them with kindness. But wisdom would suggest, wisdom would suggest that we don't allow them to be the primary influencers in our lives. That there are going to be people who look at the way that we live because as citizens of heaven, we live differently even though our feet are planted here on earth. And there are going to be people who look at that and go, why do you do that? Why do you live life that way? Why, why, why don't you indulge this? Or why don't you make that decision? Or, you know, it's okay. If... And you want people in your life who are going to affirm your decision to follow Jesus. Peter reminds us we will give an account before God. And that matters more than any temporary feelings of ridicule that we might endure. I love what it says in Proverbs 13. It says, walk with the wise and become wise associate with fools and get in trouble. You want to become wise? Walk with wise people. You want, to, you want to grow in your walk with God? Walk with people who are growing in their walk with God. You want, to, you want to continue to grow in your faith in Jesus and in your obedience to Jesus? Then surround yourself with people who are committed to following Jesus. And then there's this counter to this as well. In, in Proverbs it says, but associate with fools and get in trouble. You don't even have to be the fool. You can just be hanging out with fools and get in trouble. You can be hanging out with someone who is making poor decisions and you can actually be affected by the shrapnel of their poor decisions. And so walk with the wise and become wise. We need a commitment to wisdom as followers of Jesus, particularly in who we allow to influence us as we do our best to follow Jesus and become like Jesus. Here's the third thing, a commitment to love. A commitment to love. There is always a connection between followers of Jesus, always a connection between followers of Jesus, denying ourselves, and loving others well. Don't make the mistake of thinking that becoming a follower of Jesus means that you have to be a Bible scholar or that you have to uh, know the Bible front to back or that you have to memorize tons and tons of Bible verses. And following Jesus primarily is not about how much you know, it is about how well you love. Because if you claim to follow Jesus and you don't love others well, then you don't really understand what it means to love Jesus. See, you can't claim to love God and then not love people created in his image. This is so important. You can't claim to love God and then mistreat the people that he loves. It simply doesn't work. And so Peter reminds us in the next verses, he says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in, who need a meal or a place to stay. Pray for others. Share your home with others. Continue to show deep love for one another. This emphasis, this emphasis that on loving others as the shape that our spirituality should take is absolutely captivating. This is what it means to become spiritually mature. To become spiritually mature means that we grow in our love for God and our love for others. Why does the entire first century church begin to teach about loving others as the primary emphasis of a growing spirituality? The primary emphasis of a growing spirituality is that I love others well. It's because our faith is relationship. Our spirituality is worked out in community with one another. It's huge. The entire emphasis of the first century church is love others, and that is how you show your love for God, by how well you love one another. And when you tell religious people, really fanatically religious people, to start by loving God, they often don't get around to loving others. 
When you tell people who are really religious fanatics, it's tempting for people who are just very, very zealous in their love for God to start with loving God and to keep loving God to the point that they actually show disdain for people who are created in God's image. That they actually, in their zeal for God, they want to show you how much I love God. I love God so much. I can judge and condemn and keep you on the outside because after all, I love God so much. We know that the idea of loving God and never getting around to loving others can lead to things like the Spanish Inquisition. It can lead to things like the Crusades. It's all about my zeal for God and in my zeal for God, I'm going to slay others in his name. It can lead to things like uh, witch burnings and beheadings. It can lead to terrorism and violent acts. Why? Because I love God. Let me show you my zeal for God. And the first century church was not willing to allow that to happen in their everyday lives and behavior. And so the emphasis is to start with loving people. Love others. This is, you want to show your love for God? You do that by loving well the you next to you. You do that by loving well the people created in God's image who are right around you. Well, isn't loving God an important part of it? Absolutely. But they're not contradicting Jesus when the New Testament authors teach that, man, the most important thing is to love others well. Jesus taught love God and love people as the right approach to someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus. But to his own disciples, he said, this is how the world will know that you're my followers is by how you treat each other. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples by how well you love one another. To the degree that I have loved you, to the extent that I have loved you, you are to love one another. Not I love God, I love God, I love God. Therefore, I will condemn everyone who doesn't love God to the same way that I do. And Jesus says, I already know that you love God. You've given up everything to follow me, but the way you show your love for God is by how you treat people. The greatest love is when you are committed to ascribing value to those whom God values. The primary way that we work out our faith is loving those who Jesus loves. And so we need a commitment to loving others, even when, and especially when, we don't see eye to eye, we disagree, we have different lifestyles, we have different ways of thinking and different ways of seeing the world. But as citizens of heaven, we are to love well. It is the primary way that our spirituality grows to maturity. Here's the fourth commitment that Peter talks about, a commitment to serving. A commitment to serving. Do you know why it's so important for us to have serving teams around here at Westbridge Church? Do you know why we're always saying, join a team, join a team, join a team? We're constantly inviting you to join a group and join a team. Here's why we do groups. Here's why we have teams. It's because in groups, we have the opportunity to help each other grow and love each other well. And in teams, we have the opportunity to serve each other and to serve our community. Over and over again through the scriptures, we are called the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And the reason that this metaphor exists is because uh, we understand that while our body has a bunch of different parts, all of those parts function together to help us accomplish one purpose. And the church is the exact same way. Think, Think about the things that your body does that you take for granted every single day. Something as simple as typing. Typing on your computer. Right? What happens? I mean, your brain has to form the words and send messages, and your fingers are doing this, and your eyes are watching the screen. There are so many different things going on just to simply type an email. It is a miracle. 
It is absolutely supernatural. It's a mystery that you can function the way that you do. It takes your fingers and your brain and your nerves, and it's, it's a complex thing, but we just take it for granted every day. It's amazing. It's actually a mystery and a miracle that our body can function the way that it does, that so many different parts work together, functioning in different ways to help us accomplish one thing. And we do that with multiple times a day with all kinds of different activities. Just think about that for a second. In the same way, the body of Christ has one purpose. One purpose it is trying to accomplish. But each of us are different parts. Each of us are are different functions and using our different parts to function together as one body to accomplish the mission of the church. And so Peter reminds us of that in these next verses. He says this, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. You have a gift. God has given you a spiritual gift. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Every single weekend, we are welcoming new faces to Westbridge Church. There are people who walk through our doors for the first time every single week. That's such an exciting thing because we want everyone to experience the love and the grace of Jesus. And we want people to to walk through these doors and experience God's love and grace. But that also means every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a role to play. You have a role to play. You have an opportunity because you have a spiritual gift. And Peter says, God has given every single one of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Maybe you thought, well, I don't know that I'm that gifted. That isn't true. The scriptures say you have been given a spiritual gift to use. And our responsibility as followers of Jesus is first to discover what that is. Discover what it is. What is it that I can do? What is it that that God has given me? And he gives a couple of examples He says, if you can speak, speak well. If you can help others, do it with all the energy you've got. Whatever it is, you discover what it is that God's given you. That means I figure out what that gift is. I don't get to choose it. It's just a spiritual gift that God's given you. Now, I know we live in a society where we tell people that you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. If you just work at it, you can be anything you want to be. That's not true. You don't get to decide where you're gifted. American Idol taught us that. Not everybody's a singer. We learned that on American Idol. In fact, if you would have asked my son when he was younger, what do you want to be when you grow up? He would have said, I want to be a ninja when I grow up. What if I would have just been like, you can do it, buddy. You can be a ninja. You should, you should go for it. You can't be a ninja. That's stupid. I don't even think they have health insurance. So it's not even a good ambition. You're not going to be a ninja. But you discover what spiritual gift God has given you. What is it that, that I love to do? What is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that I know that uh, God's gifted me to do? This is one area where I can contribute. And Peter says it can be something as simple as like, man, you, you are, have this gift of helping other people. And if you have the gift of helping other people, man, give it all you got. Give it all your energy. And then you develop that gift. You work at it. You, you flex that muscle. You work hard to get better and better in whatever that area is. Peter says if it's speaking, speak as if God is speaking through you. If it's helping others, do it with all the strength and energy that you've got. And these are just a couple of examples. It's not an exhaustive list. Peter says, look, you discover the gift and then you develop it and you pour yourself into it. That means once you discover your spiritual gift and you work to develop it, then you deploy it. You use it. You you put it to use in the body of Christ. And when every single one of us figures out whatever my function is, I'm going to contribute, 
then the whole body works together to accomplish God's purposes. And Peter says it's, it's like you're administering God's grace in its various forms. You become the administrator. You, be, you become the, uh, the, the conduit of God's grace, that God's grace flows in you and then through you into the lives of other people. And if we want our community to experience God's grace, it gets administered through us. And here's kind of the shocking part. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. You're it. I'm it. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B. He works through imperfect and flawed people who make themselves available and say, God, if you'll use me, I mean, I'll take whatever it is, whatever this gift is, and I'm going to use it. And I'm going to share God's grace with other people. So, what is that spiritual gift that God's given you? And if you don't, if you don't use it, if not now, then when? And if not you, then who? Every one of us has been given a spiritual gift, Peter says, that we can use as a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus himself didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve. To, to, to give his life away in service to others, and we are to follow his example. If you haven't taken the time to register all of this, then the best thing you can do is just to start somewhere. Join a team. Just join a team somewhere. And as you're serving, if you realize, man, I am not gifted at this, we'll be like, you're right, you suck at that. And we'll shift you onto another team. And, and maybe you're like, you know, the best way for me to discover what my gift is is just to join a team and start figuring it out. It's a lot easier to steer a moving vehicle Join a team, jump in somewhere, serve, get started. Let God's grace flow through you into the lives of others. Finally, Peter says this, a commitment to endurance. Once again, Peter goes back to this idea that runs throughout this letter, and he talks about suffering, enduring suffering, that as citizens of heaven whose feet are planted firmly here on earth, we will experience some suffering. And Jesus experienced suffering. If Jesus, the Son of God, experienced some suffering, we're probably going to experience some suffering as well. He's our leader, and since he overcame death, we have nothing to fear. And so this is how Peter words this. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. I love the language that Peter uses. Uh, I think sometimes when we experience what he calls fiery trials, really, really difficult things in life, we're genuinely surprised at what we're going through. And sometimes we have this false notion that as followers of Jesus, he's going to make everything work out for us. Why, why, isn't life just going to be great now that I'm a follower of Jesus? Isn't it going to work out well? Is, doesn't he make everything work out for my benefit? Well, guess what? Throughout history, followers of Jesus were persecuted. Throughout history, followers of Jesus were poor and destitute. Throughout history, followers of Jesus got sick and died. Throughout history, followers of Jesus were misunderstood. Throughout history, followers of Jesus experienced loss and grief. Throughout history, followers of Jesus felt pain and relational heartache. You're not selling this very well, Jeremiah. This doesn't sound very good. This is what Peter says. He says, why are you surprised 
as if something strange were happening to you. You're citizens of heaven, but your feet are planted here on earth. Why, why do you act as if this is so shocking that you would experience hardship and difficulty and suffering and pain? You're citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is not in this world, so you don't operate the way that this world operates. So why are you so surprised when people slander you, when people come against you, when things don't go the way that you thought that they would, when you experience hardship and challenges and difficulties in this life? And I think it's because sometimes we can get so focused on what's going on around us that we forget that our citizenship is not in this world. Sometimes we get so comfortable with our feet here on earth that it starts to feel like home. And Peter says, don't be shocked at the fiery trials. Instead, he says, actually be glad about it. Let it wake you up to the reality. When you experience these things, it should remind you your citizenship is with Jesus. It's in heaven. It should excite you. It should wake you up to the reality that Jesus suffered and endured, and we can too. And when we endure, and particularly how we endure, the way that we reflect Jesus into the rest of the world, especially during difficult times, can really make a difference in the lives of others. I read an article this last week about a guy who visited a silversmith. And he went to see how silver was uh, produced and made. And, and there's a point where the silversmith actually held the silver into the hottest part of the fire. And the, he asked the silversmith, what are you doing? He said, well, I have to put it into the hottest part of the fire because that burns away the impurities. He said, okay. And so he's watching this happen and he's watching the impurities get burned away. He said, but I have to keep a very, very close eye on it because I don't want it to get so hot that it actually destroys the silver in the process. It just has to be hot enough to burn away the impurities. And the man asked the silversmith, well, how do you know when it's done? And the silversmith said, when I can see my reflection in the silver. And I thought about that this week and I thought that's a lot like followers of Jesus. That we experience difficulty, fiery trials, hardship. We experience suffering sometimes. Sometimes we go through difficult seasons. Sometimes we go through relational heartache. Sometimes uh, we go through things because we're following Jesus. And we don't do things the way that the world does things. We don't operate differently. With our feet here on earth, we're citizens of heaven. And that means sometimes we live differently. We love differently. And, and we give up certain things in self-denial in order to say, Yes to Jesus. We say no to some things when it comes to ourselves. And yet, whatever that is, in the process, hopefully it's burning away what's impure. It's taking away some things that are a part of this world, and it's helping us reflect the face of Jesus. That suddenly when, when we see Jesus reflected in our lives, we know that, man, we shouldn't be surprised by some of the things that we go through. God will use the fiery trials that we go through to refine us, to make us more like him, to help our lives reflect his image, his love, his grace, his kindness to the rest of the world. And so let me ask you this question. Are you going through a fiery trial? Are you going through something that feels impossible, that feels difficult? Don't be surprised by it. Instead, remember that our hope is in the one who overcame death. We have a hope that is alive. Our job as followers of Jesus is not to avoid suffering. It's not to do whatever we can to sidestep suffering and difficulty in this life, but to reflect the love and grace of Jesus in the midst of suffering. And the better that we do that as citizens of heaven, the more of an impact we make on the people around us. Because at one point in time, Jesus endured suffering. 
at the hands of the Roman Empire, at the hands of the religious leaders, and he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That means death is not the end. That means death is not something that followers of Jesus should fear. And that means that you've been invited to be a part of God's family, to, to enter into as a son, as a daughter of God, to be a part of God's family forever. And if, if you've never said yes to that invitation, it's not something you earn your way into. It's something that you've just been invited into. And then when you say yes to that, you're saying, God, I want you to forgive my sins, but I also want you to lead my life. I, I trust that your way of living is the best way to live. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to do that as we close. Just agree wherever you're at with this simple prayer. God, please forgive my sins and forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I thank you that you never walk away from me. And God, I, I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to follow your way of living as best as I know how. Be the leader of my life. Help me to follow you. I want to put my trust in you. And then, God, for every one of us, as, as we do our best as citizens of heaven, with our feet planted here on earth, may we be committed to love and to serving. May we be committed to enduring in the midst of suffering. And, and our goal is not to sidestep difficulty and trials, but rather to be a reflection of Jesus in the midst of those. Give us the strength to continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.